Well, last week, David walked us through what it means to be salt and light. That when we manifest the heavenly virtues expressed in the Beatitudes, that we are to light shine before men in such a way that they may see our good works and glorify our Father is in heaven. And then he gave us some ways that we do this individually at our workplace, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, with our friends and our family, that each of us is to, you remember that powerful close, that this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And that's what we do, that when we leave from here, we bring our little lights and we go out and we shine for Christ wherever he sends us, wherever he has us. But there's also a corporate application of that passage, that God not merely shines through us individually, but aggregately, corporately that he takes our individual grains of salt and he puts them together into a local church so that he can pour us out more plentifully on our community. That he gathers our lights and assembles them so that we can beacon more brightly and to beckon people who are tossed by this world to find harbor in Christ. That's why the book of Revelation likens the churches to lampstands that shine brightly. That Christ places local churches in their community to shine bright for him. And as he does that, he organizes those churches to be able to more effectively represent and serve him where he places them. The Bible says that God is a God of order, not of chaos. That all things in every church are to be done in an orderly manner. Because our God is the one that out of chaos formed and filled the earth and the universe to better represent him and serve him. And he does this through establishing officers and then other appointed positions in the church so that all things can be done in a God-honoring manner. And this morning, we are going to have a special service as we install new elders, deacons, and announce a new deaconess, as well as some new ministry staff that are going to be the leaders and the servants of this church. So would you please join me in a word of prayer as we begin this installation service, our second here at Dini Community Church. Father, we do thank you that you loved us so much that you gave us the church, that we don't simply have individual relationships with Jesus, but we are in the household of faith, the temple of the Spirit, the body of Christ, so that we get to live our life together, to encourage one another to love and good deeds, to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And as in all things, you create order, you establish offices to ensure that things are done in a manner that is pleasing and glorifying to you. So we do thank you for the godly men and women that you have assembled, that you have raised up, who have been serving, and for those who are about to serve in new capacities. Would you guard us from sin, keep us from the evil one, protect us from our flesh in the world, and fill us by your Spirit to be able to serve you faithfully where you've placed us. Guard this church, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The office of elder is rooted deeply in the Old Testament. When God sent Moses back to Egypt, he told them to assemble the elders of Israel. Then when they went through the wilderness and appeared on Mount Sinai, it was 70 elders that represented the nation in appearing in a covenant to God. When God brought his people into the promised land, the tribes had elders over them. The territories had elders over them. We see elders in the palace. We see elders over the temple. There were these group of respected, godly, capable, wise men that God raised up to be the rulers of the people that they represented. This was true before the exile, it's during the exile, it's after the exile. In the time of Christ, we have elders over the Sanhedrin, elders over the individual synagogues. So it's not surprising that when God established the church, that he would ordain elders to place over it to lead those local communities. 
wise, virtuous, capable, respected men from that community to guide that community in the ways of God. And we see this from the early days of the church in the book of Acts. It says in Acts 11, there was a famine in the land of Judea, so the church at Antioch raised funds to help their brothers and sisters because one of the characteristic qualities of Christians is they help other Christians in need. And it says that in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. As early as Acts 11, we see elders in the church in Jerusalem that were the ones entrusted to distribute these funds on behalf of the donation of Antioch. When Paul went on his first missionary journey with Barnabas, they did a half circle of church planning in Asia Minor, but then rather than completing the circle and doing more evangelism, planning more churches, they went back and revisited the churches that they had already established. And why? When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So on the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas would go into these towns, pray, give the gospel, people would come, they would bring them into local communities, and then they went back later to see who were the mature, godly, capable leaders, even in this early stage, that would be the official elders. And every church had its own group of elders. When there was a confusion in the early church over the role of circumcision and obeying the Mosaic law, there was a controversy caused by some of Jewish descent who said, yes, embrace Jesus as the Messiah, but also be circumcised in order to be saved. And this was so controversial in the early Jewish heritage of the church that they sent representatives to Jerusalem. This is known as the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. Notice the repeated phrase of who the authorities were. The brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles, which makes sense. They were the delegates of Christ, but also the elders. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this manner. When they had decided the manner, they sent a letter to the brethren in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, the churches that had been planted on the first missionary journey. And the letter said... Uh, the apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in these areas. And while they were passing through the cities, uh, after the council dispersed, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders. So Jesus was clearly the founder of the church, the cornerstone of the church, the head of the church. He had assembled disciples around him, and of these disciples, he had appointed 12 to be his appointed witnesses of the resurrection. But what are they doing in the earliest stage of their ministry of the church in Jerusalem? They're raising up elders. What did Paul do on the first missionary journey? He appointed elders. Who did he go and deliver the message to on the second missionary journey? Elders. Recurring throughout the book of Acts and the churches that we get glimpses into, they are ruled by groups of elders. So what is the, rule, the role of a church elder? In Acts 20, at the end of the third missionary journey, Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem, and from Miletus, a port town, he sent to Ephesus and called to him whom? The elders of that church. And here's part of the commission he gives to them. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So an elder, the Greek word is presbyteros. And that's why a Presbyterian, that word comes from an, the word for elder, an older, wiser, proven man. 
The word bishop is episkopos, and it literally means to look, skopos, over, epi. So an episkopos, a bishop, is an overseer. But the term is used plural, not singular, because these elders were overseeing the church. He made you overseers, and why? To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his blood. Every church is God's church, precious to him because he bought it with the blood of his son. And in order to guard them, in order to oversee them, in order to shepherd them, to guide them in God's ways, to lead them in God's word, to keep those from straying, to prompt those who are straggling, he appoints elders who oversee them, who shepherd them, just like a shepherd would his sheep. The book of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So elders are leaders, and you're leading the church in order to keep watch over the souls of the saints in the church. Who's struggling? Who's straying? Who's afflicted? Who seems to be tempted by false doctrine? Who is wandering into immorality and sin? Who's causing conflict? And that's the job of a shepherd, is to be the spiritual overseers of a particular flock like parents are over their children. That you care when they become more reticent to speak or more aggressive in their rebellion. When you see a change in a child's heart, you want to shepherd that heart. And that's what God gives elders to a church to do, is to watch over the souls as best we can, to make sure that they're healthy and thriving and growing and maturing and clinging close to God. And notice that terrifying last phrase, as those who will give an account. Elders of a church will give an accounting for how they shepherded the souls in that church. That's one of the reasons that we have church membership is so that we know which sheep are ours that we're accountable for. If a bunch of classes go to a park for a field day, every teacher cares about every child that they see, but they're responsible for the children in their classroom. And so they need to know who's on my roster, who's on my list, because we give an account for those souls. Peter says this, I exhort the elders, plural again, among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ to partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. This is the term pastor. This is where we get the word pastor. They shepherd a flock. So what does a shepherd do? He feeds the sheep. He leads the sheep. He guards the sheep. He prompts the struggling sheep. He tries to carry and to help and heal the infirm sheep. He guards them from the wolves. He looks out for sheep that are wolves in sheep's clothing. He does everything that's necessary for the well-being of that flock. Because again, whose flock is it? It's God's flock. And how much does he care about those flocks? Well, his son died to buy them. And so they are precious to him. And they are to do so exercising oversight. There's that word again. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, not their own preferences or ideas, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. It's not to be tyrannical. It's not to be dictatorial. It's not to be heavy-handed. There is authority, but it's not authoritarian, but proving to be examples to the flock. They are to be able to conduct themselves in such a way that people would be able to look and say, ah, that's what the Christian life looks like. That's what it is to be a godly husband. That's what it is to be a good father. That it is to be a Christ-honoring educator or student or employer or employee. That they have to represent Christ well so that others can imitate their examples. 
This is why they have such stringent qualifications that are given in two different passages, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Paul says to Timothy, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. This is the overarching category. Their character and conduct must be such as to be above reproach, irreproachable. Specifically, the husband of one wife, which doesn't mean never divorced, but means monogamous, faithful to his spouse, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, one of the two abilities that are required of an elder, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. That's the other ability that is required of an elder. They must be able to teach because that's how you shepherd. Teaching and preaching is a shepherding tool. But they also have to be able to manage, to be able to oversee the household of God. They have to be prudent, wise, accomplished. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. That's why these men that we're about to install as elders were presented to you 30 days ago to see does anyone have a complaint about them in the classroom, in the workplace, in their neighborhood, anything that you've seen that is concerning that we need to be aware of. Likewise, he says to Titus, For this reason I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains. And what does it mean to set a church in order? To appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, opening up their, their life, their home, their time, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. These are the qualifications of an elder. These are the roles and the responsibilities of an elder. Therefore, Dini Community Church is led by elders. Our current elders are David Brown, myself, and Fred Cummings, who couldn't be with us this morning for medical reasons. But I'd now like to invite up both David as well as our two new elder candidates about to be installed, Bob Bland and Tim Sutton. Bob Land was raised in a Christian home in Colorado, gave his life to Christ at 15, and has walked with his Lord ever since. He is a graduate of Pepperdine University, University of Tennessee, and his PhD from the University of Pittsburgh. He currently teaches in the uh, faculty of University of North Texas in the Public Administration Department. Bob and his wife Jane have been married 48 years, and they have been serving faithfully at Denia since 2021. Tim Sutton grew up in Baytown, gave his life to Christ at the age of 13. He holds his bachelor's and master's degrees in education from UNT. 
has taught elementary music as well as first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, served as a principal in Colleyville for 10 years, and then served as the director of clinical practice at UNT for another 10 years before retiring last December. He and his wife, Laura, have been married 41 years and have been faithfully involved at Dini Community Church since 2019. We are very excited to be able to officially install today Bob Bland and Tim Sutton as your two new elders here at Dini Community Church. The installation of the new officer is often done in the Bible with the laying on of hands. Moses did this with the Levites. He did this with Joshua. We see the apostles laying hand on the first deacons in the book of Acts. We see Paul mentioning that Timothy had had hands laid upon him for his office. The church in Antioch laid hands on Paul and Barnabas before they went out as missionaries on the first missionary journey. Paul instructs Timothy to not lay hands on a man too quickly, which means you do lay hands on a man when it's appropriate. So the laying on of hands is a way of installing in an office and conferring God's blessing on those entering into that office. And so now I'm going to invite David, our other elder, myself, to come in and we will each pray for these men as they enter, uh, enter into this new office in our church. So, Father, I want to thank you so very much for Tim Sutton and for Bob Land. I want to thank you for the decades of faithfulness in their marriage, in their parenting, in the workplace, in their churches, in their community. I want to thank you for lives of integrity, of sacrificial service. I want to thank you for their commitment to Christ, your word, your family, and Lord, for the skills and the abilities you've given them, for their provenness to be good servants and stewards, and for their willingness to undertake this sober office. Would you give them in this coming season a special intimacy with you in your word and in prayer? Would you let them walk closely with Christ? Would they experience the Spirit in powerful ways? Would you give them wisdom and discernment in every decision made? Would you give them power to do whatever you call them to accomplish? Guard and keep them from the evil one. Let them represent you well. Lord, thank you for these men. Bless them. Use them. Glorify yourself through them, I ask. Father God, we thank you for Bob and Tim. And uh, Father, we, uh, this body needs them. Uh, Father, we need shepherds. We need men who will come and love well and live well and, uh, and serve. And so, Father, I pray that you would uh, use them for your purposes, to your glory. Pray that they would be good protectors. They'd be good shepherds. Pray that you would guard this church from division, from sin and disqualification. Father, pray that these men would be protected from the enemy. Father, guard their marriages, bless their marriages, bless their lives. And Father, use them, help it overflow to, uh, to others that, uh, that you would be honored and glorified. So Father, thank you for these men. Uh, just uh, use them greatly for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, Bob Land and Tim Sutton, your new elders. Thank you. Thank you, brother. So you know the elders meet every Wednesday morning from 6.30 to 8 where we pray for you, where we talk through the business of the church, where we try to see who is hurting that needs help, who is discouraged that needs encouragement. How can we serve y'all well? If at any time you would like to come and visit with your elders, have something prayed over by your elders, you're welcome. And so contact me, please, and I will schedule that and coordinate that. But we are here to serve you. We are here to shepherd you. And I now want to bring up as well some of your responsibilities to your elders. 
The Bible says, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. The Bible commands a church to appreciate its elders, to esteem them highly in love because this is an awesome office. Uh, it keeps you up at night, the phones ring at all times, and these people will be there by your bedside or hospital room or wherever there's a need. So we need to appreciate them, to esteem them, to love them. It says that we are to remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct to imitate their faith. The elders are to be role models, and we're to aspire to imitate them to the extent that we imitate Christ. Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. To the extent that my conduct is Christ-like, then imitate that conduct. So we are to imitate them, to learn from them, to remember them. It says the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. That there are elders who devote themselves full-time to that calling. In our culture, we designate them pastors. So a pastor is another elder, but here at Dina, they are the ones who are serving vocationally in that capacity. But in the elders' meetings, it is a group of peers who are praying and meeting and deciding together, not elders serving a singular pastor. But there is a biblical mandate to support those. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9 that God intends those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. And so churches support their pastoral staff. It says in Hebrews 13, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. There is authority in every area of life. Parents submit, or children submit to parents, wives submit to husbands, church members submit to elders, citizens submit to governing authorities. We are all under authority and we all exercise some authority. And in the church, the church responds to the decisions made by the group of elders. And that's why we need your prayer. Uh, John Calvin, his institute says, are you unhappy with your pastor's preaching? Then pray for him. Pray for him. Don't criticize him. Pray that God would give him instruction and an improvement and an unction. And so we need your prayers. We pray for you. We ask your prayers for us. And then just a reminder from Ephesians 4 that the reason God gives some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers is for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. The relationship of a congregation to its leaders is not customers to its waitstaff. It's not spectators to the athletes. The pastors, the elders, the ministry staff of a church are the trainers and the coaches to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. God intends every member of the family to fulfill their role. Every member of the body has a function. Every part of the temple has a place. And so the reason that we are going to be doing small group Bible studies and discipleship and we sit under the teaching of the word is so that you will be equipped to use the spiritual gift that God gave you to fulfill his purposes through you and wherever he sent you. But the church 
is who accomplishes God's purposes. Not the church spectating while a few men and women run themselves frantically and frenetically into exhaustion trying to do the work that was intended for the many. The work of the elders is to equip the saints for the doing of the work of ministry. There's a second office that also helps the elders in this. We get its origin in the book of Acts chapter 6. It says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying, they laid their hands on them. This is the origin of the office of deacon. The word deacon means servant. The verb form means to serve. And these were those who were going to serve in practical ways, not that the elders were above serving, but so that they could devote themselves to the service of the word and to prayer. And so God establishes deacons and deaconesses in order to serve in practical ways so that the elders are freed up to dedicate themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. The qualifications for a deacon or a deaconess are much the same as that of a deacon. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife, monogamous, faithful, and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. They're much the same. The distinctions are the teaching of God's word and the oversight of God's affairs in the church. These are the servants who serve the church on behalf of the elders so that the elders are freed up for their ways of serving. It's interesting that in this description of the qualifications, he mentions women. And the word woman can mean woman or wife. And in this context, commentators think that they are referring to women servants, women deaconess. Uh, we would call them deaconesses. We see them in the church as early as 115 AD, that this is actually a secular writer named Pliny the Elder is reporting to the Roman Caesar that he had summoned some Christians in for questioning and he had tortured two deaconesses. So by 115 AD, there were already prominent women in the church who were serving other women in the church because there are certain ways that it is most appropriate or only appropriate for a woman to serve a woman. Uh, Phoebe in Romans 16.1 is said to be a servant of Sincrea. And top commentators on the book of Romans like Douglas Moo, Thomas Schreiner, and C.B. Cranfield all agree that this isn't referring just to a general servant, but to an office. And so although some might disagree, I believe that there is biblical precedent for the office of female deacons. 
There is undeniably precedent in the history of the church from the earliest decades of the second century on through the centuries of the church. And so here at Dini Community Church, we have female deacons, deaconesses, who serve women in the church. They don't teach or exercise authority over men, but they serve women because oftentimes it's most or only appropriate for a woman to serve another woman. Our current deacons and deaconesses here at Dini Community Church are Dave and Jan Sims, Teresa Price, who couldn't be with us today, and Connie Greenwood, who stepped down from that office a couple of weeks ago in order to better serve her husband, her grandchildren, and her neighbors. And now I would like to invite up our two new deacons. And uh, one of the deaconesses that we're going to be appointing, Lisa Bate, is ill this morning, so she will be up next week. But Richard Bate, Scott Price, would you please come up, along with Dave and Jan Sims. Our church was formed meeting in homes in September of 2018, and in October, the prices showed up, along with the Sims. So they have been here since the very foundation of the church. Uh, hard to say where Scott is from. He grew up in Sanger, but has lived in 27 cities since. And Scott is a servant everywhere. Uh, he's the poster boy for what a deacon looks like. And so we are very grateful to have Scott join his wife, Teresa, as a deacon and deaconess couple in our church. Uh, Richard grew up in Richardson, and he has his degree in finance from the University of Texas, Austin. He is going to be serving in a special capacity as deacon of finance in order to do a lot of the bookkeeping of the church to free up the elders for more pastoral shepherding matters. So he is well qualified and has already been serving in this way in certain capacities, but now is going to be serving in a special designated role in handling the depositing of checks, the paying of bills, handling of reimbursements, and the myriad of affairs that are growing in this growing church. And so I would now like to invite David back up, as well as Bob Bland and Tim Sutton, our new elders, to lay hands on our new deacons. And again, we will do this with Lisa Bate as our new deaconess, hopefully next Sunday. Father, we want to thank you for the faithful men and women who are model servants, who serve so joyfully, selflessly, sacrificially, faithfully. And week in and week out, uh, we see these familiar faces because they're unloading trailers, they're setting up food, they're cleaning up after events, they're taking care of communion. Lord, wherever there's a need, they're there to serve. So we do thank you for their integrity. We thank you for their example. We thank you for their love. And we thank you for their willingness to serve now officially as new deacons in our fellowship. We pray that you would guard and keep them, that you would let them walk with you consistently and intimately. We pray that your spirit would give them strength and grace as they serve you by serving your church and by serving our neighbors around us. So thank you for Richard. Thank you for Scott. Thank you for Lisa. Thank you for Dave and Jan and for Teresa. Thank you for the servants of the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to offer his life a ransom for many. Father God, um, 
these men have already been, they've already been serving, Father. This is not a call to do something they haven't been doing. It's just a recognition of, of who they already are and, uh, and what they can do for your church and for the saints. So, Father, pray for your blessing and your protection uh, on them. And, uh, Father, pray that you would use them greatly uh, to bless this church, to bless many, many people here. Pray you would protect them from the enemy. Uh, Father, draw them to yourself and to your purposes. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, your two new deacons, Richard Bate and Scott Price. Thank you, John. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. These are the two official offices that we see in the New Testament. Elders, deacons, and deaconesses. This is why in Philippians 1, Paul addresses to the saints who are in Philippi and also the elders and the deacons. But then we also get mention of other ways of serving, of other functions. There's evangelists, apostles, prophets. In church history, there have been readers at a time when literacy was less common. There have been music directors, youth pastors. So even though these are the official explicit offices of a church, churches have historically had other offices as well. And here at Dini Community Church, we have a category of part-time employees and uh, full-time employees that are ministry staff. And I would like now to introduce them to you and announce a couple of transitions in them. So Paul Buford, Jake Galbraith, Chris Cobble, Zach Ripple, and Becca Guest, would you please come forward? And Paul Buford actually was going to be here, but he is serving the Blands by teaching Jane Bland's course. But our Denia Kids ministry is directed by Paul Buford, and he and Leslie give us part of their hours each week in order to serve our little ones. And so uh, many of you don't recognize Paul because he's always serving in the gym, in the library, in a classroom. But we are so grateful to have that man who has his degree from DTS in children's ministry and they have so many decades of experiencing loving little ones that we are very very grateful for the Bufords. Uh, Zach Ripple has been leading us as our music director for two and a half years? Yeah. At exactly that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Zach was my son's huddle group leader for a season when my son was in high school and we came to Zach and to Sarah and said we need someone to help us with music and he said well I'm a percussionist but I guess I could re-pick up my guitar and he did. And Zach has been serving us faithfully week in, week out. And there's never been a Sunday that we haven't worshiped God in spirit and in truth. That it's never been a performance. It's never been just going through the motions. It has always been prayerfully selected, earnestly presented, honorably sung. And so we are very grateful for Zach. But uh, if you were sitting up front and you saw Autumn and Prudence singing and doing the hand gestures, he has two little girls that need more of their daddy and a wife that needs more of her husband and in his career needs to give more time. So at the end of March, Zach is gonna be stepping away from serving us in this capacity. We'll still see him at church. We'll still see him probably intermittently up front, but Zach is going to be stepping down in this current role so that he can devote himself to other things. Uh, Jake Galbraith is a familiar face with an expanding role. So one face that you're not seeing up here is Nathan Buford, who for over two years has been the director of our middle school ministry. But Nathan is wanting to devote more time to his studies at Criswell Bible College, 
And so he has stepped down as the director of middle school ministries, and that responsibility is now being assumed by Jake. So as we started thinking through Jake's title, Jake was in charge. This is Paul Buford. <laughs> Glad to have you. Jake was over young adults, college, high school, middle school, and we were running out of room in the card. And so he is going to be our director of Next Generation Ministries. So from sixth grade on through middle 20s or whatever that category runs out, Jake is going to be handling those ministries for us. Jake is a student at uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, pursuing his Master's of Divinity. Uh, you saw his wife, Alex, up with him earlier. They married in December. She's a perfect counterpart to him. But Jake is now going to be director of anyone from sixth grade through late 20s. And we are very grateful for this godly, hardworking young man. Uh, Becca Guest has also a familiar face, but playing a new role. Becca has agreed to serve as our communication director. Uh, we are committed to loving one another, which means we have to communicate well with one another. And that's becoming increasingly challenging as we've got more members of the family. So Becca is going to serve in two capacities. One, as our communication director, helping with everything from slides to website to WhatsApp to newsletters, anything that involves us communicating clearly with one another, but then also as an assistant to the pastors of the church, for which I say thank you and praise God. So for a long time, I was doing everything from picking up baptismal rolls to printing out baptismal certificates, and it's time for me to have more time in other areas. And Becca has been such a blessing already. But starting in January, she's now giving us three full days of her work week to be able to serve us in these two capacities. And finally, uh, a few weeks ago, we were happy to announce Chris Cobble as our new associate pastor. He begins his new roles officially uh, on Wednesday, March 1. But he was here opening up this morning. He was here setting up the last couple of weeks. Chris hails from Nashville, Tennessee, not Nashville, from Tennessee, Greensboro, Greenville. Greenville, Tennessee. He and his wife Antonia came to Denton in the late 90s. Chris and I worked together at uh, Denton Bible Church's missions office for 15 years before I left. And he is now leaving the missions office to be able to go not broad but deep. So Chris and I have logged a lot of miles, a lot of hours, a lot of experiences together. And I'm very, very grateful that God has brought him to serve us as our new associate pastor. And so, ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce you to your ministry staff of Denia Community Church. And y'all can step down. As we close, I want to invite Greg and Diane Peel, two founding members of Denia Community Church, to come up and to pray for the elders and the deacons and the deaconesses and the ministry staff and all of the many people who are serving. So back in January of 2018, there was a meeting in a living room to see if God was leading us to start a new work in this neighborhood. And among the 12 people sitting in that circle were Greg and Diane Peel. And so they have been faithful uh, servants here from the very beginning, before there even was a church. And on behalf of the congregation, would you please pray with them as they lead a prayer for the leaders of the church? Father, on behalf of the congregation, Lord, Greg and I want to pray for our elders and deacons and leaders and ministry. Father, we are so grateful as a congregation, Lord, that you have brought these wise and godly men and women to oversee our church, Lord. I'm just so grateful 
we ask that you would bless them with wisdom and protection lord that they would be governing in unity lord and father i pray for us as a congregation lord that you would put it on our hearts to come alongside them pray for them support them in any way we can to love on them we want to serve you in all different capacities lord and we are so grateful for these leaders that you've brought today and for this time for this congregation for your body lord that we are a family and we as a family want to serve you help us all serve in our capacities and support these leaders lord we thank you and lord i also i also just thank you for your amazing abundant blessings going back to that first meeting in the living room the 12 of us and to see this grow into more than 200 people coming to church and lord we just thank you for how you are growing your church here in peoria we thank you for the vision that brought this about to serve you and to love you and to love well and thank you so much for these men and women that have been serving you and now will serve you in this new capacity as elders deacons and the staff of peoria i pray for us as a congregation that you would lift them up regularly lord that we would pray for as don said their unity pray for their wisdom pray for their daily walk with you lord that they would be the light on the hill for being a community but also for us as a church as as their sheep their entire lord just pray that you would continue to bless and grow this church and we pray that we would serve well alongside these new leaders and we ask these things in your son's precious name amen thank you And of course, the many people who are here serving as volunteers, who serve in so many capacities, uh, we could bring up face after face and person after person. But thank you for your prayerfulness, for your commitment, for your service, for your love that has made this church what it is. Would you please now join me in a word of prayer as we conclude and then sing praise to our God. Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you for the body of Christ, the temple of the spirit, the household of faith. Lord, we thank you that you have planted this particular church. and We acknowledge that we belong to you. This is your work to be done by your power for your glory. Lord, would you keep us humble and holy? Would you keep us compassionate and merciful? Would you keep us righteous and wise, faithful and prayerful? Would you grant us the grace to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love one another as Christ loved us, and to love our neighbors as ourselves? that they might come and join the family of God. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.